Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us at Life Family Church Podcast. We exist to reach, disciple, and empower people to live in the fullness of God. If you're new to our church or want to learn more about us and what we believe, you can check us out online by simply going to lifefamilychurch.net. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Isn't the Lord good? Doesn't His mercy endure forever? It endures forever and ever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. I want to encourage those that are watching on live stream, get your Bibles out. Join us with the scriptures. Um, We do read out of the Bible in this church. Praise God. Amen. Imagine that. I don't ever put words on the screen. No, I kind of like reading out of the Word of God. It's the Word of God that sustains us. Can you say amen? Open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Psalms, chapter 23. Psalms 23. Hallelujah. We're good. We, got, we started out last night, and just spontaneously, the Lord said, I want you to do a Monday night service, a Tuesday night service, and I'm feeling right now we're going to go through Wednesday, so we'll see what happens on Wednesday. So if you're, if you're watching and you're in the area, you need to come, because there's a building to revival. There's a building to a move of God. And God is pouring out his spirit like it was on the day of Pentecost and even in a greater degree. And, you know, one of the things that that I like about the Lord is when the Lord says, I want you to do something, then he kind of shows up and shows out. I'm just kind of learning after 23 years of ministry and being all over the world, you just don't push things. You just let God do what he wants to do. And when he wants to do it, it's it's to a greater measure. He does deeper works. Can you say amen? amen? So in the book of Psalms, chapter 23... And uh, I'm going to read to you out of the Passion Translation of the Bible. And it says this. It says, the Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. That's stinking awesome right there. The Lord is your best friend. And not only is he your best friend, but he's your shepherd. And we are the sheep of his pasture. Isn't that right? Watch what verse uh, 2 says this. It says, I always have more than enough. Well, why is that? Because your best friend and your shepherd is the one who has more than enough, and he likes to share. Can you say amen? Because the Lord's a giver. God's a giver. We know that to be true because in John 3, 16, the Bible says, For God so loved you, the world, that he gave. Can you say amen? Yeah, because he's a giver. He's not a taker. Come on now. The Lord is not a taker. The Lord is a giver. Yeah, but didn't didn't Job say the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away? Yeah, Job said that. But that doesn't mean it's necessarily the nature of God. Everything in the word of God is truly stated, but not everything in the word of God is a statement of truth. Let Let me say that one more time. Everything in the word of God is truly stated, but not everything in the word of God is a statement of truth. Job said the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. But God said, I so loved you that I gave. The only thing that the Lord takes away from you is when you get born again is your sin. Can you say amen? amen. That's what he takes away from you. Not only that, he takes away sickness. He takes away disease. He takes away poverty. He takes away lack. Why? Because he's your friend, and he's your shepherd, and he loves you, and you always, say always, always. you always have more than enough. 
So the Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. I always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores, watch this, and revives my life. Where his oasis of love is, where he takes you in the pathways of bliss, is his presence. If you want to put it in the natural, it's his presence that gives you peace. It's his presence that gives you the oasis of bliss. We know that to be true because in the book of Acts chapter 3 verse 19 it says, Repent you therefore that times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So if he takes you by his luxurious love in the area of peace and bliss, then what does that here in the natural? It's his presence. Have you ever had a really rough time, a rough day, and you thought, you know, man, I just need a refreshing. I just need, and maybe you stop for a moment and you turn off the radio or you plug in a CD or you play some worship music or maybe you just go into your house and you shut off your phone and you go in your living room and suddenly you put some worship music on and you start to lift your hands and you start giving God praise and you start worshiping him. Isn't it interesting how peace comes in the midst of your storm? It's the most amazing thing what happens when peace comes. Why? Because of his luxurious love for you. Wow. Why is that? Because God is love. He tracks, take me to an oasis of peace, the quiet brooks of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me the pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of the deepest darkness. Listen, you're, in the, you're not in the valley of the shadow of death. You're in the shadow of the valley of death. You're not even in the valley. You're in the shadow of the valley. Come on now. Big difference between being in the valley and the shadow of the valley. Hello? There's a big difference falling into a hole than walking beside the hole. Praise God. And there's still a hole there. Hello? But there's a big difference from falling into the hole and walking beside the hole. In all reality, the shadow is you can't touch this because you're not going through the valley. You're not in the valley. And shadows change. They change into relation to the sun. So therefore, the relation to the Son of God that you have in your relationship, the lesser the shadow. Because it didn't say how big the shadow was. It could be a small shadow. But as you walk through the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil, for thou art with you. I got good news. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He will never relax his hand on you. He said it. So when the devil tells you you're all alone, it's a lie. When the devil tells you that nobody loves you, that's a lie. Jesus loves you. God loves you. 
When the devil tells you, oh, you don't have any friends, you got a friend that sticks closer than any brother. And not only that, he's your shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He takes care of his sheep. That means he knows the good places where to eat grass. He knows the good waters so that he can take you to. He takes you beside still waters. He restores your mind, will, and emotions. There's nothing good in this world. You're just passing through for a temporary time. We're on the verge of the thousand-year millennial reign. Will you be put in positions of authority? As a matter of fact, you'll even command angels within your regiment. Did you know that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we'll reign and rule. So in this life, because of the blood of Jesus, he's provided a way where there seemed to be no way. And Jesus willingly came 2,000 years ago to die on the cross so that he can carry you through every trial, through every tribulation. Why is that? Because he's your best friend and he's your good shepherd. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of the deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely. You are always near. You became my delicious feast even when my enemies dared to fight. You anoint me with the fragrance of the Holy Ghost. Did you know Smith Wigglesworth was so full of the power of God that after a meeting, he was taking a trip on a, on a train. And he got onto the train, and when he went into the cabin, he sat next to a man. And he said, cordially said, hi, how you doing? And he just sat there. And about 10 to 15 minutes into the train ride, suddenly the man turns to Smith Wigglesworth and said, my God, man, you convict me of sin. Why is that? Because he was so full of the fragrance of the Holy Ghost that his very presence, when he walked into the thing, convicted. How would you like to be so fragrant that you sit on a train or you sit on a plane or you're in an elevator and you walk on the elevator and there's two or three people and you just say, hi, how you doing? And by the time they get to their floor, they turn to you and say, my God, you convict me of sin. Just by standing there, just your presence. That's what these meetings are about. These meetings are get the fragrance of the Holy Ghost and take it out into the world. That's what these are. These are fragrance meetings to get the fragrance of Almighty God in your life. Did not John the Baptist say, I must decrease and he must increase? The hardest death you'll ever die is not physically dying. The hardest death we'll ever die is to ourselves. That is the hardest death. And tonight on a Monday night, you died to yourself and you came out tonight. Blessed are you. May God bless you a thousand times more than you are. Oh, you get ready. You see what God's going to do in your life. Because there is no sacrifice that God does not see that he openly rewards. There's no attempt to obey God that he doesn't reward. And I'm sure maybe the enemy tried to prevent some of you from coming. <laughs> whether it was the traffic, whether it was your job, or whether it was... A, I mean, there's probably some still people coming. Just come on. Praise God. Amen. Just come on. 
Amen. Like I tell my dog, Jesse, come on, let's go play Fribby. Come on. I prayed, Frib- it's Frisbee, but I, she understands that it's Fribby. Praise God. And we go out in the backyard and she catches the, I have to actually calm her down so she can keep her breath because she likes to stay out there or she'd probably <laughs> fall over, you know, because catching Frisbee 50 times. Praise God. Amen. And it doesn't stop. Yeah. Amen. So you've been fragranced. That's what revival meetings do. It fragrances you. That's the reason why we, we don't, don't have one meeting. We have two meetings, three meetings, four meetings, five meetings. But we don't want to do something that's in the flesh. We want to make sure it's the Lord. If you were here last night, I talked about near-miss revivals. Where seemingly God began to move, and for whatever reason, the leadership shut it down and said it's done and over with. Or maybe people stopped coming and things like that. I talked to you last night about what Smith Wigglesworth prophesied 100 years from the Azusa Street Revival thereafter. There would come another move of God that would be unprecedented. It would be an accumulation of every move of God, every revival since the day of Pentecost. It's been about 2,000 years. And we've had moves of God over and over and over. But he prophesied that there was coming that would be unprecedented. It would be an accumulation of every move of God since the day of Pentecost and then Jesus would call us home and at any other time in history seven billion people on the planet and we know we're living in the last days because in the book of Matthew chapter 25 it says as it was in the days of Noah as it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah so shall it be when the son of man come and the Bible says that the earth was full of violence And there's not a day that goes by that something violent doesn't take place in the earth. You can just sense it in your spirit, man. You can sense that a a page is about to turn. So the Lord is your shepherd, He is your best friend. You'll never be lonely. For you are near. You became my delicious feast, even when my enemies dare to fight. You anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of you until my heart overflows. So I want to encourage you tonight. Drink from the Spirit of God. Drink until your heart overflows. That's what happens when the joy comes. People are drinking and drinking and drinking and drinking and suddenly they begin to overflow with joy because Isaiah 12, 3 says, Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. So it's on the inside of you. That joy is on the And when you're drinking of his presence and you're drinking, the Bible says where the presence of the Lord is, there's fullness of joy. Proverbs 17, 22 says, A joyful heart doeth good like a medicine, but a sad spirit dries the bones. Nehemiah eight ten says, that the joy of the Lord is your strength. So when you're drinking of his presence, guess what happens? It starts to bubble up. It gets all over you. The fragrance gets all over you. It's one of the benefits of sitting on the front row. You get the splash over. You get the... You get the... Yeah, that's right. You get the... You get, you get the smackdown, praise God, amen. You just, yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. So the Lord is your shepherd, and not only that, he's your best friend. Can you say amen? Amen. Well, if you need an offering envelope on the back of your chair, we're going to take up an offering, praise God. You just be led of the Lord of what to give, praise God. 
If you need an offering envelope, lift your hand and I shall get one to you. Praise God. We want to encourage you <clears throat> watching on live stream. You can go to jackmyersministries.com and you can, you can give on there if you want to. But if you're in the Plant City, Lakeland, Brandon, Tampa area, we want to encourage you to come back. Come back tomorrow night. We're going to come back tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. And um, Pastor Marie is during, during the children, so I need at least one lady who would volunteer for tomorrow night so that she could be a part. And we'll just do a rotation. Praise God. Amen. So ages 1 to 5. Uh, y'all been trained around here. Praise God. Y'all know what to do. Just take one, just take one night and we'll do a rotation. So please um, see who do I want anybody to see. I want to see who are we going to see. Miss Cindy. There she is. See Miss Cindy. If, and, you know, if some of you ladies just take one night. Praise God. Amen. So that you can also be in the services too. Amen. Come on. Amen. Yeah. It's, you know, what, happen, what, what, what happens if the whole place fills up? What happens if we've got to put chairs out in the hallway? What happens when, when, when the hospitality room is full? People are lined up at the, at the side door trying to get in what God's going to do. Praise God. Amen. So we've been trained. You've been trained. And you know what to do because, you know, you've got, you got to get them rewards. Praise God. Amen. Because the harvest of souls is coming in. I see that we have visitors tonight. Welcome. God bless you. Keep on coming. Amen. Just keep on coming. See what God will do. Amen. This hasn't been planned. We're not planning this. We're just doing it. Praise God. Hallelujah. We're throwing caution to the wind, to be honest with you. We're just tossing it out there. Hallelujah. Amen. Yeah. Let's see what God will do. You know, one of the things that he talked about this year and prophesied this year was, you know, things will just click. You don't have to push anything. Come on now. It'll just click. And, and that's a good thing. Praise God. Because put, there's been times I pushed and it just turned, it didn't turn out well. Praise God. Amen. But I, I can tell you this. Doing revivals in the last 23 years, I can tell you it goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. The more we go, the more we go, the more we go. Praise God. So right now, we'll go through Wednesday. Amen. So you got tomorrow night, and you got Wednesday night. And if you're still hanging out, just come on. Just come right on in. There's a seat for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you ready to give? All right, lift your offering toward heaven, if you would, please. Father, we thank you for the gift and the giver. And Father, as we um, be obedient to what you asked us to do, it will be given back to us, pressed down, shaken together, and running over through the hands of men. Father, we love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Ushers, if you'll serve the people.
Hallelujah. Open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Haggai. Haggai chapter 2. I want to talk to you tonight about a God-sustained revival. God-sustained revival. Let me say this to you. A God-sustained revival is much different than a planned meeting. It seems that there are times where God will spontaneously move. We know that to be true because in the book of Acts chapter 2, the Bible says, and suddenly... And suddenly there was a sound from heaven. Sometimes a move of God just starts out with, and suddenly. A sustained move of God, a God kind of revival, is when it's like unexpected. It's, it's when, it's, not to say that planned meetings are good or wrong or anything like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when God invades a city, when God invades a congregation, when God invades your life. That brings a radical change. Because if he's the God of the suddenlies, sometimes you're just minding your own business, then suddenly God fills your car. All of a sudden you're minding your own business, and then God just invades your house. It's like it comes out of nowhere. They coined a phrase with Duncan Campbell in the Welsh Revival. It was actually the Hebride Island Revival off of Scotland. They coined a phrase called a strange consciousness of God. How it started was like this. There were two older ladies. They were in their 80s. One had arthritis. The other one was blind. And there was a pastor and about six deacons. At that time in history, there was not one young person in church. The congregations were very small, not a lot of people attending church. And all of a sudden, these two older ladies, they had a dream about young people. Now, it really depends. Young people to us can be like 19 years and younger. But if you go overseas and like in Honduras, young people are 35 and under. They call young people. And, the, the, and so they had a dream that the churches were filled with people and young people. So they went to the pastor and they said, hey, let's do a couple things. Why don't you and your deacons go on one side of the city, we'll stay at home, and let's pray two days a week. Tuesday and Thursday, let's pray from about 9 o'clock in the evening until we're finished. We could pray two or three hours, or we could finish at one in the morning, but we just, we just do that. You go on that side on Tuesday, pray from 9 o'clock to maybe 1 a.m. We'll stay on this side, and we'll pray, and we'll just be led by the Lord. Well, they did that for a period of 90 days. One of the ladies had a second dream. She dreamed that a minister by the name of Duncan Campbell came, and a revival broke out. Now, Duncan Campbell was an evangelist. At this point in time in his life, he was in London, England, and he was doing a series of evangelistic meetings. And he started in London, and it was on a Sunday morning, and he, he was going to finish through a Sunday, I mean, through a Friday night. Well, during, the, during the, the first two days of the meetings, it was great and wonderful, but then he got this note from this pastor saying, you must come to the Hebride Islands off the coast of Scotland now. 
And he's like, well, I, I can't come now. I've spent all this money and I've rented the hall and, and these people have come from all over the nation and, and I can, all over Europe and I, I can't just, I mean, we've, we've advertised. I mean, there's hundreds of people here and I can't just stop and, and things like that. So this is what he's talking about. So all of a sudden, the Lord prompted him, you need to go. Well, he's like, Lord, I can't go. You just don't understand the money that I've spent here. Like, really, the Lord doesn't understand, right? You don't understand. So it was on a Tuesday evening, and he was about to get up to speak. He opened up his Bible, opened up his scripture, went to make a first point, and he got struck dumb. He couldn't talk. He was arrested by the Holy Ghost. And he made such an effort to speak, he could not speak. He struggled. Everybody's, you could hear a pin drop in the audience, right? He's, they're staring at this preacher, and the man can't say anything. So now he's struggling with the Lord, because the Lord specifically told him to go. So all of a sudden, he reasoned in his heart, and he finally said, okay, Lord, I'll go. And when he said that, he closed his Bible and he was able to speak again. And he said, please excuse me. I have been instructed by the Lord to go to the Hebride Islands off the coast of Scotland. I'm sorry. I Please forgive me. I have to shut these meetings down. And I've got to ca- catch a steamboat, you know, in the morning to go to this place. And we're getting ready to read Haggai just here in just for a second, okay? Because it's relevant to what I'm telling you. So all of a sudden, he caught that steam engine, and of course, it went all day and even into the evening, and it went to the next morning. And then when he pulled into the Hebride Islands of Scotland, two deacons from the local church met him at the dock. And they said, Mr. and this is the first thing they said to Mr. Campbell. Mr. Campbell, we want to thank you for coming, but we must ask you a question. Before, you know, you retire for the evening, I know that you're tired and you probably need something to eat because you've been traveling for a very long time. But let me ask you this one question. How is your relationship with God? You know, they're asking the preacher this. How's your relationship with God? And he said, well, I think it's pretty good, but I'll, I'll tell you this, I do fear God. And, of course, when he walked into the double doors and he made his way to the pulpit and there was the two older ladies were there that would have been praying for revival, and then there was the pastor and the deacons that were there. And one thing that they would pray was this, who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord? Those with a pure heart and clean hands. That was their main scripture that they prayed for 90 days. So all of a sudden, Duncan Campbell got up and he addressed the 15 or so people and everything and he dismissed them and he said, we'll start services tomorrow evening. I'm going to go and rest. So all of a sudden, he stepped off the platform and people were making their way out the doors and one of the deacons stopped right in the middle of the church. He lifted his hands and he shouted, God, you promised you'd pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And God, you're not doing it. And suddenly the power of God struck him. He fell to the floor and he was in a trance. Struck him, fell on the floor, was in a trance. All of a sudden, about five minutes later, some of the people that walked out into the courtyard came running back into the church said, Mr. Campbell, Mr. Campbell, you got to see what's happening. you got to see what's happening. Come outside. Come outside. And all of a sudden, Duncan Campbell walked down the hallway. He opened up the double doors, and there were 700 people in 
the front of the church on the grass wanting to get in. They coined a phrase, a strange consciousness of God fell on the community. They closed the doors and left the 700 people. And said, they left the, and they said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are, gonna, what, what, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? See, are you really ready for what God wants to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, go out and sing a hymn, and we'll talk about it. So he sent one of the deacons out there, and they sang a hymn out in the middle of the church. And then Uncle Cameron said, just open the door. Open the doors. So they opened the doors, and all 700 people flooded the church. They went straight to the altar. They were weeping. They were wailing. They were laughing. They were crying. They were screaming. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, because the double doors were, were closed, the double doors, boom, wide open. Some man came running down, leaped on the platform on his face, and started screaming, My God, I'm a sinner! you got to save me, God! you got to save me! And then a wife said, Get him, God! Get that man! Just get him, God! Because he was the drunk of the city. He was the most prolific sinner in the entire city. And he was gripped by the Spirit of God in the community, and it drove him to the church. See, that's a God-ordained, sustained move of God when God falls. It was reported that before anybody ever got to a church, they were falling on the sidewalks and giving their hearts to Christ. The beer joints shut down. The honky-talk shut down. They would try to drink their beer. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't bring the beer to, mug to their lips. They would shake under the power of God. The book of Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 6 says this. For thus says the Lord of hosts. That's a good place to really listen. Because God's about to speak through the prophet of God. And any time when God speaks, our ears are to pick up. Doesn't Revelation say, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the churches? So listen very carefully. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. I believe we're on the verge of the greatest shaking of the nations, the greatest shaking of the church that has ever been ever seen. And I believe the whole cities will be shaken. Whole nations will be shaken by the mighty hand of God. And that's what happened in the Hebrew Island revival But Duncan Campbell where a strange consciousness of God falls on a community. Brother Don's been here for 50 years. Wave your hand, Brother Don. He pastored a church. I asked him recently, I said, Brother Don, to your recollection, has there ever been a major outpouring of the Spirit of God in Plant City? He said, no, sir, there hasn't. I 
You mean 160 churches in Plant City in a 20 by 20 mile radius and 38,000 people? There's never been an outpouring of the Spirit of God in Plant City? He said, no, sir. I have to believe that Plant City will be shaken by the power of Almighty God. And not only Plant City, but Lakeland and Brandon and Tampa and Orlando. I have to believe. I have to believe. Did you know it was reported that when the disciples of Jesus began to preach the gospel through the region about, they developed a reputation the reputation was this. The men that nearly turned the world upside down has now come to visit us. I got good news. There's more than 12 people in this room tonight. A God-sustained revival. It would be something. I remember we were in Pittsburgh, Kansas, many years ago doing a revival. And it was a missionary from the country of Panama, Cicinio Bernal. He had a commission to come to the United States of America to Pittsburgh, Kansas. His commission from the Lord was revival in a 100-mile radius. He invited me to come. He said, I want you to come and I want you to do a Sunday morning through a Wednesday night. We said, sure. On the Monday night service, his church was in a storefront area. Across the street was a Publix. At the corner of the street was the red light. Monday night service. About halfway through the service, suddenly a lady comes walking in the door. I said to her, ma'am, why are you here? She said, I don't know why I'm here. I said, what do you mean? She said, I went over to Publix to get my groceries. I came to the corner. I saw the church. I made a right-hand turn to go to the red light, and I heard a voice. Turn around. Go back inside that church. She said, I don't know, sir, why I'm here. I said, let me ask you a question. If you were to die tonight, do you know where you'd go? She said, I don't know where i go. I said, would you like to go to heaven? She said, absolutely. I said, give me your hand. And I led her to the Lord. She fell under the power of God and God touched her. That was Monday night. Tuesday night, right in the middle of my message. Can you believe it? A man comes walking in the door, the double doors, and stands in the road. I said, excuse me, sir, why are you here? He said, I don't know. I said, what do you mean you don't know? He said, I don't know. I was over at the Publix getting some groceries. I went to the road. I turned right. I went to the red light. I heard a voice. Turn around. Go back into that church. And I don't know why I'm here. I said, excuse me, sir. If you were to die today, you know where you'd go. He said, I don't. I said, how would you like to go to heaven? He said, I sure would. And I led him to the Lord right there, and he fell in the power. Hallelujah. May people pass by and go to the light and suddenly hear a voice. 
Turn around. Go back to that church. I have something for you. Every time they pass by, get them, angels. Just get them. Get them, angels. Get them, Holy Ghost. Get them. I don't know why I'm here. I heard a voice. I was just passing by. It's a God-sustained God revival. How awesome would it be that a strange consciousness of God fall on Plant City? How wonderful would it be a strange consciousness of God fall wherever you're out watching on live stream? How, How awesome would that be? I believe in these last days, the revival that's being poured out won't be about any one man or woman. I believe it'll be about the body of Christ. Oswald J. Smith wrote a book called A Passion for Souls. He made a very, pa- a very powerful statement in that book. He said this, nothing less than a genuine revival in the body of Christ that results in an awakening among the unsaved will ever satisfy the heart of God. Because heart, God's heartbeat is souls. That's his heartbeat. I do know this. We have to have a balance between the Word and the Spirit. We just can't have the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. Because if all we have is the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, we flake up. If all we have is the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word, then we dry up. But if we have the Word and the Spirit come together, guess what happens? We all grow up. And God wants us to grow up into these things. Do you remember the story in the Old Testament of a man named Obedidim? Let me tell you who Obedidim was. Obedidim was a businessman. He wasn't even of the tribe of Levi. But at that time, the ark was stolen by the Philistines. And when the ark was in the Philistine camp, plagues broke out, boils broke out, disease broke out on all the Philistines. So they thought to themselves, Gee, we need this, right? No, we don't need this. Call them Israelites. Come and get this box with some winged creatures on them. Just come get it. So King David heard about it, and he sent some of these guys down there. And you know what they did? They lifted it up on an ox cart. And as they were bringing and not properly handling the presence of God, the cart and the ox stumbled. And Uzziah put his hand on the ark to steady it, and he was struck dead. King David wasn't too happy with the Lord that that happened. So he's like, hey, we need to do something with this. this is, we need to properly bring this. So hey, listen, hey, there's Obedidim. Go knock on the door. Yo, yo, Obi, what up? It wasn't Obi-Wan Kenobi either. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Luke, use the force. No, I'm just kidding. Probably. Obedidim. He said, put the, just put the ark in the... Okay, fine. I'll, I'll house the ark for a time. Yeah, just put it in the living room. The Bible says that the blessing of heaven came upon Obedidim. His flock flourished, doubled, tripled. His, I mean... It was the presence of God. See, you cannot be around the presence of God and not flourish and not have a wonderful fragrance. I mean, there's just something about the presence of God that has peace. Could you imagine that? I mean, and and that ark was in his house for like 90 days. And he was so blessed that King David heard how blessed he was. 
And it was like, okay, boys, Levites, go get the ark. So the Levites came, and they brought the Achaia wood poles. And they properly handled God's presence as they brought the ark into Jerusalem. What happened to Obed-Edom? He was radically changed. His whole family was radically changed. He could not not be around the presence of God. So he went to the Levite, the tribe of Levite. He said, I know, listen, I know I'm, not, I'm not a Levite, but could I just, could I just be the front gatekeeper? I, I got to be around God's presence. I got to be around his glory. I cannot be, I cannot have, you don't understand what it's done for me. You don't understand his presence and what he's done for my family, my marriage, my finances, my, my kids, my grandkids. You just don't know the presence of God. That glory, I've got to be around it. And then he's like, hey, listen, could, could I just be, you know, maybe in the holy place? Can I just stand by that one curtain? I don't have to be by the holy of holies. I just, I just want to be over here, maybe by the brazen altar. I just, can I go from that outer gate into maybe to the inner court? Yeah, sure, come on in. You know, you, you got a heart to serve. You want to serve the Lord. You want to be a blessing in the Lord's house. You know, because you got to be around his presence. Because you and me, you've been touched by God's presence. It radically changes everything. God's no longer just a Sunday morning sermon. He's no longer a Sunday afternoon teaching. No, he become real. And when God becomes real to you because you've had an encounter with his presence, it will radically change you. And ultimately, he was able to stand by the Holy of Holies where the ark was. And he wasn't even a Levite. See, when the prophet Haggai is saying that I'm going to pour out my spirit, I'm going to be the glory of the latter house would be greater than the glory of the former house and how will bring peace and how will bring prosperity and because the prince of peace and I will shake all nations and the desires of all nations shall come. You know what the desire of all nations is? It's peace, isn't it? The only person that can bring peace to the nations is who? The prince of peace, Jesus. And we do understand that everything that will be shaken will be shaken from within. May God shake us. To wake us. Revival has to do with the condition of one's heart. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will take out a stony heart. I will put in a heart of flesh. A new spirit I will put within you. What's the result of revival? It's revival for the church that brings revival to the world. And it brings forth an everlasting change. Somebody say change. change. Say it again. Change. Say it like you mean it. Change. Say, Lord, Lord change, change me. me. Lord, Lord, change me. Lord, change me. Be careful what you yell for. You might get it. Like I said, Oswald J. Smith, nothing less than a genuine revival in the body of Christ that results in an awakening among the unsaved will ever satisfy the heart of God. When you've been revived, you no longer look at ministries. You see them as lost souls going to a hell's eternity. There is something about having an encounter with the glory of God.
that will radically change you forever. We know this to be true because in the book of Acts chapter 9, we know that Saul, who was a Pharisee of a Pharisee, his daddy was a Pharisee. The Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 9 that he went to the high council of the Pharisees and the Sadducees to get legal letters to actually kill Christians, to throw Christians in jail. Isn't it interesting? The same God that you and I worship is the God that he worshiped. He was just deceived, but he was very passionate for what he believed in. You have to understand that over in those Arab countries, if you convert a Muslim to Christianity or to any other religion, what do they do? They kill you. We know that to be true because in recent times, over 300 Christians were martyred, killed by Muslims. That is persecution, saints of God. That is real persecution. Persecution is not driving on I-4 and somebody drives by you and gives you the digit because you cut them off in traffic. That is not true persecution. True persecution. No, no, you made a mistake and you got in their way. Persecution is when you share the gospel with somebody and they strike you. Because you share the love of God, that's true persecution. There's a difference between, watch this, necessary persecution and unnecessary persecution. I've been in the country of Nepal. The main religion in Nepal is Buddhist and Hindu. We did the first miracle healing crusade in Sirket, Nepal, back in 2010. First ever in the heart of that country, in Sirket. There had never been a gospel crusade. If I stand up there on that platform with over 6,000 Buddhists and Hindus, Buddhists and Hindus, there's a difference. Buddhists worship 133 million male and female gods. Hindus worship more than 10 gods. Less than 1% Christian in the country of Nepal. So if I stand up there and I put all of their idol gods and I take a nine iron and I start striking those gods and they rush the platform, that is unnecessary persecution because I invoked something. But if I preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. For what he did 2,000 years ago, he'll do today. And all of a sudden they start rushing the platform then, that's necessary persecution. As you know, back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, in America, those revivalists, Charles Finney, John Wesley, they experienced persecution in America. They were open-air preachers. John Wesley started the Methodist movement. John Wesley was a Holy Ghost word-preaching guy with signs, wonders, and miracles. I read in the manuals of the Methodist hierarchy. I read in the manuals. At one time, there was a Methodist preacher in a meadow in the Carolinas. Over 700 people were in this open meadow, and, meadow, and he was on a log, and he was preaching the gospel. A businessman left one of the towns and was going to go to the next town, and as he was going on his buggy, came among this scene. He thought, what's going on? 
There was a Methodist preacher preaching the gospel on a fallen tree log. Right in the middle of this man's sermon, suddenly a wind out of heaven blew about 400 people to the ground. It struck that businessman. He'd never seen anything like it before. He turned his buggy around to leave the place because he didn't know what was happening, but the Spirit of God arrested him. He had to pull over on the dirt road, get off the buggy, hit his knees, and gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Later, he entered into the ministry and became an evangelist. What is that? That's a God-ordained, sustained move of God. When can you expect a revival? Basically, revival is where people are brought back to their spiritual concerns. How do we know that revival is coming? Well, we can tell by society. When society becomes wickeder, 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 and suddenly there's a famine in the church of the power of God, and people begin to treat God as a religious thing. It's not longer a relationship thing. Maybe they've gone away from God. They're not as close to God as they used to be anymore. And matter of fact, they're leaving the churches more. They're going into the churches. You know that a revival can happen. God always trumps Satan. Always. So if revival is a condition of one's heart, that's where God can do his greatest work. It's in the hearts of men and women. Revival is a return to the Lord and a return from the backslidings of humanity. When genuine revival comes, it starts a fire in people. I was born again at the age of 12. I was filled with the Holy Ghost in a Methodist junior high school, Bayshore U Methodist High School. I was born again at Spencer Memorial Baptist at 12 years old in the fifth grade. When I was 26 years old, I had a major encounter with God that radically changed my life. It was the second week of March of 1993 on a Monday night at 10 o'clock at night at Carpenter's Home Church with a South African evangelist by the name of Rodney Howard Brown. At that point in time in my life, my wife, Pastor Marie, who's doing the, the children's, we just got done going through serious marital problems on the verge of divorce came back together, started going to counseling, and we started going back to church. I was listening to WCIE Christian Radio the first week of March, and I'm hearing this crazy South African evangelist, and as he's preaching, people are laughing, they're weeping, they're falling out. I mean, you can hear it over the radio. And on that Friday, the first week of March of 1993, I heard the Lord. Isn't it amazing? I was away from God. I wasn't serving God. I was doing my own thing, but I'm still a son. Hello. And I heard the Lord say, I want you to go to these meetings. I'm going to do something in your life. I do remember when I was 17 years old and I was filled with the Holy Ghost at that old Methodist wooden altar at Bayshore United Methodist. You have to understand about Bayshore United Methodist. Back in the 1970s, Bayshore Christian School, Bayshore United Methodist was one of the main denominations, one of the main churches that spearheaded the charismatic renewal in the 70s. It was a Holy Spirit-filled Methodist church. 
I remember that when I was 17 years old and I was filled with the Holy Ghost, calling my father on the line. I said, I think I'm going to be a pastor one day. He, well, he was thrilled with that. <laughs> 26 years old, doing what I want to do, business for myself, making lots of money, but not fulfilled, not running my race, not filling my destiny. So the Lord said, I'm going to do something in your life. So I loaded up Marie and the two boys, my two sons, and we headed out from town and country out to Lakeland to this revival meeting. It was on a Monday night. When I walked into the place, there were 6,000 people in the meeting. How many have ever been to Carpenter's Home Church? You know how it is. It's huge. 10,000 seats sanctuary. When you walk in through the back double doors, there's a downcline like this, then there's a level area, and then there's an upcline. Right? Hello? Kind of horseshoe shaped? Hmm? So I'm sitting in the pew. Behind me was the level area. And I'm sitting in an aisle seat. And there was a level areas behind me. So there's an upcline. So I'm sitting there. Brother Stacy Swally. Remember Brother Stacy Swally? Piano player, the music player. Right? He was the worship leader at that time. And worship went on for an hour and a half. I mean, remember those days when an hour and a half the worship would go on. And Pastor Rodney began to preach, and people began to laugh uncontrollably. They began to weep uncontrollably. People were shaking in the power of God. They were falling out of the pews, and he's just preaching. You see, that's a sustained move of God. I like when God does that. I like when the hand of God falls on a congregation, or the hand of God falls on a city, or the hand of God falls on a nation. And I remember sitting there, and people are wailing, and they're weeping, and they're crying. There's a manifestation of joy that's happening. And I'm, I'm looking around, I'm thinking, man, this is really cool. Because I'd never seen anything like that. I think, this is really cool. Now, Marie, on the other hand, she's like, these people are stinking rude. I can't even hear their preacher. I mean, God, I wish these people would shut up. I mean, they just, honestly, and so... She's getting mad. I'm getting glad. I'm thinking, this is way cool. <laughs> Whoa. And all of a sudden, Pastor Rodney began to minister. And one thing that caught my, mind, my eye was this. He would pull people out and he wouldn't touch them. They would fall into the power. Because I, 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 this, my background is this. This is my background. Church of Christ, Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, and non-denominational. Because if I wanted to get mellow with God, I'd go to the Episcopal church because at least they, they served real wine for communion. Praise God. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't, it tasted pretty good. I'll just have to tell you that spiced wine. You know, The, the only thing is that they would never let you bite the wafer because you'd be biting Jesus. So Jesus, Jesus would get stuck to the roof of your mouth and you're like the whole service, you're like, <laughs> don't, and the priest, don't bite Jesus. <laughs> Miss Teresa, am I correct, right? You couldn't bite because it, it would turn into the body of Jesus in your mouth, right? So Jesus, your first time was like that. He got stuck to the roof of your mouth. See, Jesus got stuck to the roof of your mouth. Oh, my God. <laughs> May God help us. <laughs> May God help us all when that happens. 
So if I wanted to get, listen, if I wanted to get excited for God, I'd go to the church of God because at least I had, you know, during camp meeting, somebody would run around one time, I mean, or, something, or shout hallelujah glory. So if I wanted to get excited for God, I'd go to the church of God. But if I wanted to get mellow for God, I'd go to the Episcopal church. Praise God. You know where they dress up like, you're supposed to call them father and they really dress up like mother? I mean, I... I I don't. I mean, I don't mean. Um, I don't mean to be. I don't mean to be that. You know, and they wear that collar, you know, that choke collar, you know, the front, the back collar, you know, with the little thing. Why? Well, I always wondered why they wear that. I think maybe because they don't. They don't know if they're coming or going. Praise God, Amen. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't know. No, but I. That's how. That's how I kind of grew up. So I'm in the service, right? And on all of a sudden, Dr. Rodney started ministering. And as he was ministering, people were falling under the power of God. And I thought to myself, that's really something. Because I've, I don't know about you, but I've been Pentecostal massaged. You know, you go, <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about. Like you, you got a neck problem, right? You got a neck problem. And all of a sudden, you go up there like that. And then the, the preacher, be healed. I mean, he, I mean he's like, right? Can I get a witness? Okay, yeah, amen. And then, then you either fall on the floor or your head comes off your shoulders, praise God, right? Isn't that right? Okay, so I'm thinking this man wasn't even, and by the way, I thought he was black because he was from South Africa. So I didn't know that he was a white guy. <laughs> come see this South African evangelist. That's him, praise God, amen. He's white, wow. And he, he was mighty white at that. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> and so I thought to myself, this is really awesome because people were laughing and controlling me. They were fun. And I thought it was really cool. So all of a sudden, he come walking down the center aisle where we were sitting. And he pulled out a couple. And they fell into the power of God. And he turned around and started walking backwards. Well, somewhere in my Pentecostal, my charismatic, my non-denominational, Episcopalian, Baptist background, I just stretched forth my hand sitting in the pew. And when I did, the power of God hit me, picked me up and threw me into the aisle and I rolled uphill on all fours. Ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. I looked like a Texas tumbleweed in a hailstorm. The cameras went to my family. Now remember, I'm getting glad Pastor Marie is getting mad. Went on the big screen, 6,000 people. Pastor Marie, she kind of just kneels down. And it wasn't the Holy Ghost. She's like, oh, my gosh. And she's like, you know, look at the screen. My two sons stand up and lean over the pew. Mommy, what is Daddy doing? I'm rolling. Just when you thought it was safe to come back to church, then the holy roller showed up. <laughs> Woo! Now, as this was happening to me, listen to me, as this was happening to me, the whole place disappeared. I couldn't hear anything. I, I, all I'm thinking, in my, this is what I'm thinking in my mind, as I'm, do 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 on all fours, I'm thinking, oh my God. And I said, oh my God, what are you doing to me? Whatever you're doing, don't stop. Finally, I hit the mouth 
up front there, hit the mouth. Now I'm like a log. I rolled and hit the platform. Rolled and hit the front row. And then rolled and hit the platform. And every time I rolled to hit the front row, people sitting on the front row would go, Woo! Woo! I finally came to a stop on the ground, on my back. Suddenly my arms came up in the air like this. And I couldn't get my arms down. And I'll never forget it. There was a lady sitting on the front row. She was laughing uncontrollably. She said, brother, I've been in church all my life. I've never seen anybody roll uphill. We're going to tell your mother and your brother. And we're going to tell everybody. I'm thinking, dear lady, be quiet. I'm a dignified businessman. There ain't nobody going to know what's going on. And then I heard a voice clear as I'm talking to you. And the voice said this to me. I have a work for you. The greater the work I do in you, the greater the, greater the, work, the, greater the work I'll do through you. You see, when you have an encounter with God, it will radically change your life forever. It doesn't matter what's coming at you. It can be all hell loose against you. But when you have an encounter with God, when you experience the glory, the manifested glory of the Holy Spirit, your life will never, ever be the same. And God will put his treasure in your earthen vessel and he'll set you on fire and you'll go to the nations of the world and souls will be saved. People will be healed. People will be delivered from demons. And the blind will see the day for here. The lame will walk and the spirit of God will be poured upon you and he'll put his treasure on the inside of you and it doesn't matter if you had a touch of God 20 years ago it doesn't matter if you had a touch of God 10 years ago it doesn't matter if you had a touch of God last week there are times that we need refreshing there are times that we need fresh infillings God wants to fill you up to pour you out he wants to fill you up to pour you out because there's a, huter, a hurting humanity waiting for you. Amen. And now is the time. Now is the season. Now is the season of revival. Now is the time of the outpouring of the Spirit. Now is the time of the harvest of souls. Now. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Not six months from now. Not a year from now. Now. Now is the time. Right now. A young minister asked John Wesley, he said, how is it that you get such crowds to come to your meetings? He looked at that young minister and he made a very powerful statement. He said this, get on fire for God and people come watch you burn. Burn, baby, burn. Revival starts a fire in people. The book of Matthew chapter 3 verse 11, John the Baptist said, I baptize with water unto repentance, saying they should believe on the one just come after him. His shoes last time I'm unworthy and tie. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. In the book of Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all assembled together in one place, and suddenly a sound, suddenly, suddenly, you see God is a God of the suddenlies, suddenly could start a major move of God. Suddenly, you're one way. Suddenly, you're different. Suddenly, it's calm. Suddenly, it's torrent. Suddenly. 
And suddenly a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind filled the whole house where they were sitting and there appeared to them cloven tongues as a fire and it sat on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now when this was noise abroad, a multitude came together, every man out of every nation from heaven, Perinthians and Medes and Edomites and dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia, Pamphylia, parts of Libya, about Serene, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. But others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, said, You men of Judea, hearken to our words, for these are not drunk, as you suppose. But this is that, which is spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last day, it says, God, I will pour out my spirits. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men will dream dreams upon my handmaidens upon my men servants I am pouring out of my spirit in those days and I will show wonders in the heavens above signs in the earth beneath blood fire and vapor of smoke the blood the blood of Jesus the fire the fire of the Holy Ghost the vapor of smoke the glory of God the glory of God which was visibly seen in the days of old and the glory of God shall dwell in you for you are the temple of the Holy Ghost and God there dwells in you and in verse 21 says and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved Nothing less than a genuine revival in the body of Christ that results in an awakening among the unsaved will ever satisfy the heart of God. We must realize that God wants fire for us. He's a refiner's fire and he's like fuller soap. Fuller soap cleanses the outside while the refiner's fire cleanses us on the inside. I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what happens when the fire of God falls on somebody? He said, my fire is intense. It's an intense fire. It's a purifying fire. He said, because I look at my children and I look at my saints as if they were gold. And I thought, my God, what does that mean? Well, how many times does it take to refire gold before it becomes pure. It takes seven times. You get, so the fire of God, every time it falls on you, all the impurities come to the surface and then you got to deal with it. And once you deal with it and you let it go, then the fire of God comes one more time because he's a purifying fire and it purifies seven times and you're totally pure. Pure and holy, fit for the master's use. Remember when I was in the floor and God said, I have a work for you. The greater the work I do in you, the greater the work I'll do through you. The greater the work I do in you, the greater the work I'll do through you. Why is that? Because there's people that you can reach that I cannot reach. There's people I can reach that you cannot reach. And if we just go about reaching the people of the earth, Jesus could come back, set up the new millennium. We can reign for a thousand years and then there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and we'll ever, forever, forever, forever reign with the Lord. We're on the verge, saints of God. It is not a time of depression and oppression. It is a time of victory. It is not a time to be downtrodden. No, it's time to lift your head on high. Your redemption draweth nigh. Because he's coming soon.
but we must work while it's still light, for darkness comes. And I got news I want to point out. I got news for you doomsday prophets and doomsday preachers. Listen to me. We are not in judgment right now. Judgment's coming, but we're not in the dispensation of judgment. We're in the dispensation of the Holy Ghost. We're in the dispensation of grace and mercy. God is pouring out His grace. He's pouring out His mercy. We are not in the time of judgment. It's coming, but not now. It's a time of harvest. It's a time for revival. It's a time to reach the souls for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not in the time of judgment now. And yes, there'll be revival during the tribulation period, but that is a time of judgment. Yes, people will come to Christ during the tribulation period. But the Bible also says there'll be people that will shake their fist at God and curse Him. There's people that do that now. They're shaking their fist at the wrong entity. It is not God of the universe that's causing their problems. It's God of the world that's causing their problems. And you and I, we have authority over him. The Bible says he's under our feet. That's where he dwells. Jesus triumphed over him, conquered him, took the keys of death and hell and the grave, and he gave it to you and me so that we can live righteously and we can live holy and we can pure and we can do what he wants us to do, however he wants us to do it. Can you say amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So I'm looking for a God-sustained, where God falls on a community. He falls in the houses. I'll share one more story with you, and then we'll see what God wants to do. We were in the country of Honduras many years ago. And we were preaching an open-air event, and it was in a neighborhood area. As I'm preaching, three teenagers come walking down the street. They come up onto the area where we were preaching. It was a concrete kind of platform. They come up the concrete platform. I said, can I help you, gentlemen? Yes, you can. So what's, what's happening? Well, we were in our living rooms, and we could hear you preach. We wondered what was going on. And the things that you were saying made so much sense. I said to them, if you were to die today, do you know where you go? And they said, no. I said, would you like to go to heaven? There's something about your voice when it speaks the gospel that breaks open the hearts of individuals. Did he not say in the book of Isaiah, is not my word like a hammer that breaks open the hearts of the most stubborn resistance? You are full of God. You are full of hope. Do not let the devil tell you that you don't have nothing to give. If you have John 3, 16, you have everything. Just start being bold as a lion because the lion of the tribe of Judah lives on the inside of you. Just start being bold and see what God does. Just press in and see what God will do. Hallelujah. Come on, stand to your feet if you would, please. Thank you, Jesus. The book of Acts chapter 3, verse 19, it says, Repent you, therefore, that times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. There are times that we just need to be refreshed. 
What if tonight could be the very beginning of something that's history-making in Plant City? You can actually say, I was there. I got in on those meetings. God did something in our hearts. Did something in my heart. Remember, spiritual hunger triggers the move of God in your life. If you'll just keep pressing in. After I had that encounter in 1993, I went to revival for six solid weeks. I went to the day meetings and I went to the night meetings. I fired half my staff because I had a janitorial business. I fired all of my night, my night guys. I dropped all of my night work. It was radical. I know it was radical. But I went every single night. And when I could go during the day, I went during the day. And I bought all Dr. Rodney's videos. And we'd come home sometimes at 1 in the morning. The, the wife and the kids would go to bed. And I'd watch those videos to 2, 3, 4 in the morning. Sleep for two hours. Get up and work all day. Come home. Load the kids up. Load the wife up, regardless of how tired I was. And go to revival. Get home at 12 to 1 in the morning. I'd stay up. Watch those videos 2, 3, 4 in the morning. Get two hours of sleep. Get back back up that's hunger that's desperation that's wanting a radical change don't think that the enemy is going to try to stop you from going to a different level spiritually because when you decide you want to go somewhere deeper and you want to go farther and you want to go higher that's when you got to press in the most. And if this, what I believe is the very beginning stages of the former and latter reign, it will be something that you will ever experience in your entire life. Any touches of God, any moves of God that you've ever experienced, it'll be an accumulation. It'll be accumulation of the Azusa Street Revival. It'll be accumulation of the Healing Revival. It'll be an accumulation of the Charismatic Renewal. It'll be an accumulation of the outpouring in the 1800s in Europe. It'll be an accumulation of the Welsh Revival. It'll be an accumulation of the Brownsville outpouring. It'll be an accumulation of the Toronto blessing outpouring. It'll be an accumulation of what God was doing in the early 90s. And it'll culminate onto one huge move. And God will move so quickly, nobody will have time to get flaky or claim it for themselves. God's not interested in things blowing up. And I think he'll come back before it ever hits that point where man tries to control it. But I want to encourage you. Get on the phones. Call people. Tell them on Facebook. Let's see what God will do in your life. Smith Wigglesworth made this statement. It's very powerful. He said, it seems that God would move over a thousand people to touch one hungry heart. We know that to be true because in Mark chapter 5, it was the woman with the issue of blood in the crowd Jesus was being pressed upon, but it was one woman who touched him in faith who got her miracle. And he made that statement. Smith Wigglesworth, 
it seems that God would move over a thousand people to touch one hungry heart. How hungry are you? Thank you for joining us this week. It's our honor to serve you and be part of your walk with Christ. Don't forget to check out our website at lifefamilychurch.net. Have a blessed week and remember, the best is yet to come.